Hey, y'all. You're listening to How I Got Here with Drina Whitfield, the podcast that dives deep into the unique journeys of some of the dopest entrepreneurs, business leaders, and personalities I know. I'm your host, Drina Whitfield. I created this podcast to have real, honest conversations about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Grab your notebook, sit back, relax, and catch these gems. Jovian Zane is an international speaker, certified leadership, and professional development coach with over a decade of experience. She leads the On Purpose movement, a firm committed to helping organizations and individuals to live and work on purpose. She has a client list across sectors that includes Google, Goldman Sachs, the New York Times, Columbia University, Harvard University, the Clinton Foundation, the Aspen Institute, Janelle Monet's Wonderland Records, and more. Jovian, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really, really, really excited to chat with you. Yes, it is my pleasure. You know, I am happy to chat with you. <laughs> Jovian, you've worked with a range of clients and have truly become an influential voice in issues that matter to women, to Black mm-hmm. folk, to marginalized communities. But I really want to talk a bit about your journey of getting to where you are today. Right. And so I always ask everyone this question, but what did you write in your high school yearbook when you were asked, where do you see yourself in 10 years? (laughs) (laughs) This question is so funny because honestly, at the point of writing in my senior class yearbook, when I was student body president, you know, captain of a soccer team, done all these amazing things. At that point, I was ready to go. (laughs) What I wrote was like, get new friends, start over, let's go. Because the boy that I've been dating, shout out to Eric King, my junior year and part of my senior year, he and my one of my really close friends in high school, they actually started dating our senior year. So wait a minute now. Wait a minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. And you said shout out. Mm-hmm. Shout out. Seriously, because uh, Ashley and Eric, shout out to y'all. I'm actually going to make sure I send y'all this link so you can see how I always refer to y'all. They actually are married now and they have, I think, four children, maybe five, but they've built a beautiful family. And I say shout out to them because I was really heartbroken. It was really frustrating. I mean, there were so many complex emotions <laughs> at that time, right? right. Because on it, this, this is when I knew I was a little bit different, but of course, like everybody else, you deal with heartbreak at some point in your life. But what was different was because I have always been the person who my friends go to for counsel, for support, and because I innately, I guess, had some kind of level of emotional intelligence since I was a young person. I think that's part of one of my spiritual gifts. I could see the things that motivate people, could always understand when people were going to vibe or like be friends, you know? So I was a little matchmaker. I was like the young counselor at school. People would always bring me all their stuff and I loved it. I'd like be in the corner with them like, oh my God, tell me about it. Let's work it through. We can pray about it. Or here's a strategy like that, Drina, that was so me. So fast forward to Eric and Ashley, when Eric and I broke up, I knew, like I, I promise you, I had this pit in my stomach that was like, yo, he and Ashley are about to date. Like I just had really? a yes, I had a feeling I was like because they'd always been friends anyway, and they knew each other from middle school. So like whatever, <laughs> this sounds so crazy talking about now. <laughs> I just knew during I was like, yo, they're about to end up together, and there was nothing I could do about it. But it, you know, so it happened, and Ashley was devastated, quote unquote. It, you know, I know she didn't want to hurt my feelings, but she had to honor her heart. And this is why I don't, I'm not mad about it at all, of course. Now it's like they really were supposed to be together. Like they clearly are still together. Now they still live in the same hometown where we grew up, 
all of that. And my life path and journey was just so different. Mm -hmm. The greatest gifts I got out of that experience was looking back now, like being affirmed and like seeing how my gifts played out of just, I like knowing how to hold space and be uh, that kind of person for other people is natural for me. And so I'm glad I could do it. But bigger than that, I came home heartbroken and told my dad and I was so upset and, you know, crying and everything. And I'll never forget sitting in the living room in this big brown leather chair and it's got a place, you know, where you put your feet up. And so I was kind of laying on his legs where you put your feet up. And he said, you know, Muff, and that's that's short for Muffin, which is part of Mm -hmm. He's like, Muff, he's like, I know this hurts, but let me tell you, you are about to turn the page and you haven't met a third, a 14th of the people that you're going to meet in your life. There are so many more people that you're going to connect with. There are going to be so many more friends, loves of your life. And now it's just time to go. This is letting you know it's time to turn the page. Mm. And I'll tell you that that has stuck with me, Drina, like this idea of uh, chapters turning the page and that there is an expanse, like there's so much more. And for me, you got to know, like, like I told you, I was senior class president. So, you know, I was popular, right? I was mm-hmm. of this and that and all the things. So I, I had a wonderful high school experience in so many ways. And so the idea in my young mind that there was so much more and like, I'm going to meet more people than this, that my dad knew how to pour into me in that moment. Because that after that conversation, I was hyped. I was like, oh, I'm good. Bye, y'all. So to your question of what did I write and what did I see myself doing in 10 years? Mm-hmm. What I saw was like new friends, <laughs> new chapters, <laughs> new environment. And I saw myself in some way being a therapist or a counselor. Oh, wow. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, a lot of girls at that age, you know, go through heartbreak, specifically mm-hmm. around that time, because that's like when you lose your high school sweetheart or whatever. And, you know, they just be sitting in it. Like oh, the yeah. fact that you your dad poured into you like that, and you're like, all right, you know what, Dad, you're right. Peace out, bye, y'all. Bye. Uh, it would have <laughs> took some other people, including myself, bye. a few minutes to get myself together enough and then say bye. Yeah, man, I, it was it was time. It was time. Shout out to you, Dad. Oh, shout out to you. So I also read something that your high school guidance counselor discouraged you a bit. Yes. What is what exactly does she do? Yeah. Okay. So they were two different. I, I've had a great experience with many guidance counselors, and I know their role is is difficult at times. But I recall learning later when I got to college, hearing from some of my friends just how many of them, specifically my black friends and my black girlfriends, how many of them had been told by a teacher or a guidance counselor or somebody, like whether it was very direct or an indirect message that you probably should expand your options because whatever your top option is, there's a good chance you may not get it. Mm. So Ms. Zimmerman, who was an amazing guidance counselor, she always encouraged me. She had my back, but there was another one, which I will not even worry about naming, who in no uncertain terms, you know, I think this guidance counselor came late to the scene and didn't know me, didn't know all I had done and led through the bias and frankly, the racism that many white educators Mm -hmm. have led through in their years and, you know, said something to me like, you should expand your options. And I don't really know if you'll get in there. I don't know. Yeah. Ultimately to the school I ended up going to, which was University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, but just, you know, said that language and and kind of the way they say it is flippantly, right? Drina, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, like you should be as if we should already know that we should expect less from ourselves. 
when that is the exact opposite of how I operate. That is the exact opposite of what I believe, how I've been raised and what I know to be true, which is I can do all things through Christ. I like, And I'm not distracted by your racism, as Toni Morrison would remind us, like racism serves as a major distraction from doing the thing that you are uniquely positioned and called to do and to be living your best life, to be living fully and joyfully. And that guidance counselor, you know, I, while I didn't know Toni Morrison's language at that time, she could have distracted me. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm not going to lie and say that it didn't sting or, um, you know, cause a bit of angst. It did. But that's why I'm so glad that I, at the same time, had other messages that mm-hmm. were combating what she tried to deposit. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, that's helpful, right? If, yeah. if, Folks have other messages to combat that yeah. because even today, you know, I, I mean, I, it may have changed just a little bit in light of like what's happened within the last year, mm-hmm. but that racism in the school system, specifically with guidance counselors and how they engage with black and brown right. girls and boys is still evident. Right. That's exactly right. Still evident. Mm-hmm. And so you ultimately went to UNC Chapel Hill. You were on the dean's mm-hmm. list. But how did that experience spill over into your college journey? Yeah. So, the, you know, I'm grateful that the experience with a guidance counselor didn't spill over too much. But it, yeah. I will say that experience, and I'm sure many others, and one in particular I'll tell you about in a second, they reminded me that I have a place and I always will have a place. I have a place wherever I want to stand and be. I, (laughs) frankly, once I got to UNC, I was really grateful that I found so many other Black kids who were like me in so many ways. Like, yes, we were different and we'd grown up lots of different places and, you know, there were things that made us unique, but yet there was a shared experience about likely being, you know, in a highly gifted and talented track or, you know, playing a sport that wasn't as popular or whatever. There there were just lots of things that connected us. And of course, our love for just Black culture, you know, Black history wasn't just a month for us. It was 365 in our household. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Black church experience, just like being able to be in class and, you know, say amen under your breath and have a friend look at you and be like, God is good all the time. You know, like (laughs) just... It, I, I found my place in a Black community at UNC specifically that just opened my eyes in so many ways and I think strengthened the depth of my love for us as a people. And to do that alongside a very diverse student body, I think also really challenged me and inspired me to think about what my leadership should look like any and everywhere. And so, you know, ultimately when I became first Black woman to be a president at UNC of the senior Crazy. class, yeah, yeah, really crazy. Um, it, uh, I think, also was a huge lesson for me uh, and a reminder for me that, Jovian, you are gifted in a way to bring people together. And you don't do that in a hokey way or a disingenuous way, but you do it in the most authentic and real and honest way. And so how I lead, how I connect people, how I challenge people, you know, confidently and with grace, I think it's something I've really tried to develop over time. And UNC's leadership experience, you know, being president was one of my, you know, a formative one for me and 
teaching me how to take up space as a Black woman who is leading a diversity, you know, a diverse group of people and to be clear about what your message is. And so, you know, not that I think, like, I haven't thought about that guidance counselor in a really long time, but it's funny to me how often you will make strides in the face of people who told you you couldn't. Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder that you can't, you can't live to impress people because they'll run out, you know, like there will be a day when trying to do things for other folks, it just, it won't fill you up. So I'm glad I didn't. And I haven't lived my life trying to prove somebody else wrong instead of trying to prove myself right. Mm. And that's important because I think sometimes when, you know, you go through experiences like that as a kid, uh, and I say kid, we, even though you're you're 17, 18 at the time, you're a young adult. We could, um, look, Karina, we you, know, you feel a kid, right? <laughs> There's a teen anywhere in that, you kid. <laughs> but you know, you, when you yeah. turn 18, like, I'm an adult now. Right, right. <laughs> Man. But when you're that age and someone like discourages you like that, sometimes you hold on to that. And you take that oh along God. with you through college, through your first job, through yeah. like maybe going to get your master's and you, you do all of this to keep trying to prove that person wrong. You should really just be focusing on, you know, doing what's right for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, wh- like, why am I living my life dictated by the low expectations of someone who didn't care about me in the first place? Hello. Mm-hmm. You know, like that means I'm leaving all kinds of opportunities on the table. That means I'm yeah. motivated by something that is frankly rooted in fear. It's deficit based when that is the antithesis of what my God has told me about. Like I am created for more. He will do exceedingly and abundantly above all I can ask or think like I can do all things like my, my faith is asset based. It's rooted in abundance. And so, you know, trying to chase the low expectations and the minimalist thinking of a person who never saw it for me in the first place, that's a major distraction. That's what like Toni Morrison's talking about. That's what will get me off of the path that is mine. And that's mm-hmm. when I'm acting like, or feeling like I'm an imposter in a space that I've actually been placed in for a purpose. Yeah. So being clear around, you know, I can't, I can't let other people, their expectations of me s- distract me. Yeah. Like, I'll tell you this one story, Drina. This girl, of course, her name is Becky, but literally her name is Becky. Has <laughs> <laughs> to be trite, but like straight up Becky. And I'll leave out her last name, even though I think it's changed. But I played soccer with her growing up for a long time, and also went to church camp sometimes with her. So I was raised in a black church. Both, you know, this. Both of my grandfathers um, were pastors, Southern Baptist. So like I, black, 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 black church. And also in North Carolina, in Winston-Salem, where I grew up, I would venture sometimes with my friends because I had a diversity of friends. I also grew up with a lot of white women, white girls at the time, and I would go to some church camps. And I had really meaningful experiences there. Now, also looking back, as I know Austin Janning Brown would talk about her book and we can connect on this level, there were, I, I think back to some of the messages or even ways that the white church, specifically evangelical feel wasn't ready to tackle racism at all. And so, of course, it makes sense that this girl, Becky, who I played soccer with and who I would worship with, would say this to me on the day that we found out about college acceptances. I got into UNC. She did not. And she said, well, you probably took my spot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. 
mind you, of course. Come on, privilege. Come on. Come on, privilege. And mind you, <laughs> all the data would say would show anyway, Becky, you're you don't have it. <laughs> like you're not as smart. And forget being in comparison to me, but like you just have not stacked up in the way that's going to even let you be competitive for the school. But instead of looking at herself and what she wasn't prepared to do and what her own path was, mm-hmm. of course, her racism started to show. And the same girl that she prayed with and asked me to pray for her and passed the ball to and scored with and laughed and our parents have picked us up. When her hurt came, her disappointment came, she lashed out at me and said, I took her <laughs> Right. Because affirmative action or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about like the messages that we got to be careful to not let trap us, that's one of the ones like that's a story yeah. I remember so vividly being an AP English class and like in the corner and being like, oh, word. And my reaction was just like, yeah, no, that's not what happened. I'm sorry you didn't get in, but I'm glad I did. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, how did you even respond to that? Yeah, Yeah. I said that, like, I'm sorry you didn't get in, but I'm glad I did. Better luck Come next on. time. <laughs> Nothing very like, eh. Try again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I meant it too. I meant it. Like, there is, you know, there's a very sassy side of me <laughs> uh, that has always existed. You know, I'm glad. I feel like God protected me even after that in the days that follow to where I didn't get bitter and I didn't get, I didn't start to let her message make me feel like an imposter in my own acceptance. Mm. Right. You know, we, the, the language around it, around imposter syndrome is so real. And we talk about yeah. it. All That's, that was an early experience where I look back now and I'm like, Oh, I could have immediately felt like, well, she's right. I don't deserve to be here. Now what? And again, so like, how did you, how did you overcome that Jovi outside mm-hmm. of like, you know, I know you had like a strong family base that really poured into you. I knew, I know you have a very strong, you're, you know, you're very confident and you have, yeah. you know, you rely on your faith. But like when someone like who you look at as a friend who, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, you prayed with, you play soccer with, your parents picked you up from from wherever together. And she said some ish like this. It can make you go into yourself and like, well, wait, did I take, get, like, how did you overcome that? It can. It really can. So. I really, really believe in building the strong foundation, just not for the storm, but for the for the routine of living a full life and really believing what God has for you. So I know you mentioned it, and I just honestly, for anybody who will listen to this, my deepest encouragement is connect to your source source, like big S source, like the source that helps remind you that you were created with purpose for purpose and that there really is no one like you. And so if you were created with so much love and care, when you were placed in positions and opportunities to have impact, trust that that loving, that same love and care that fashioned you and that created you placed you in that same place. And so like, I really do believe the thing that's helped support me against like overwhelming senses of imposter syndrome has been a mindset that is rooted in my faith and a mindset that is asset based. And that tells me one, there's no one else like Jovian. Like I can give you the recipe, Drina. I could tell you all the things and you still can't do it like me. And I still mm-hmm. can't do it like you. Like mm-hmm. you, you, we cannot do it the same. And that's actually the power in us. 
right? Like we're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. So recognizing like one, there's a race I'm to run and that other people are to run and I should respect their race. I can look at their race as inspiration and encouragement, but the moment it starts to get into comparison or confusion or makes me doubt, that's when I know I've I've actually looked at their race too long and I need to look back at my own. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So like in practice, that looks like, I think the smallest things could start to, to plant seeds of doubt. And imposter syndrome is rooted in doubt. It's rooted in fear. It's rooted in a deficit mindset that says you're not enough. You weren't meant for in the space. The space, it, it can't hold you in whatever way because you're too big or you're too small or they won't receive you or whatever. It is, it's totally deficit based. Mm-hmm. And when you are focused though, in a space of gratitude and with your mind that says, yo, Jovian, you, yes, are the first woman who is going to be the president. And do you know what that means for what God is asking of you, like the purpose in your positioning. So what gratitude do you need to have to do well in this? What responsibility do you have to keep the door open for other people? So I think like my recipe for fighting imposter syndrome, Drina, honestly starts with gratitude. It starts with a mindset of like abundance. Like, of course, I'm supposed to be here because God has good things for me and uh, service too. So and the last thing I'll say to this, I don't know how we let people for, make us forget this, but Drina, how long have you been running your business with PR? About 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. How many hours do you think you've been doing it? Oh, God. Right? Couldn't even quantify. Uh-uh. But let's just say you, you've been in the PR gym, right? Mm-hmm. You've been, <laughs> I've been shooting. Your, you've been shooting your free throws. You've been dribbling through the cones. I know what I've been doing. You know what you've been doing. So when someone attempts to make us, even if it's ourselves, right? Because trailblazing is always met with opposition, even if the opposition is yourself. Mm-hmm. When someone tries to diminish or make us, or, or we tend to like think, wait, maybe I, they're going to find out about me. What are they going to find out about you? Are they going to find out that you've been in the gym, Drina? Are they going to find out that you have been <laughs> making press releases for 10 years? Are they going to find out that you built relationships for 30? Are they going to find out how hard you've been working? Like, that's the thing, right? Instead of answering the question from like, oh, they're going to find out I'm not, I'm not. What if they find out you are, you are, you are, and you do? Yeah. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Listen, I mean, Jovian, you just gave a whole word right there. And I feel like you were just preaching to me because, you know, as an entrepreneur, like for me, for instance, you know, I started with PR with nothing. I had no clients. I didn't know. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So, of course, Mm -hmm. along my journey, I'm hit with a lot of like roadblocks of imposter syndrome where I'm like, yo, they about to come pull this curtain down and see that I'm a fraud. And it's like, well, Drina, what the hell are they going to see? Like, what what are they going to see? What are they going to see? What are they going to see that you're like a startup business and that you're doing the same things that everybody has to do when they start up, especially black women who are not necessarily, you know, given all the same kind of resources for loans, Mm -hmm. you know, capital to begin with. Are they going to see how scrappy you are? 
Are they going to find out how innovative you are? Are they going to figure out how you have managed to raise a child, also build a sustaining and beautiful relationship with your husband while also hustling to put your clients on the Today Show? Is that what they're going to see? Girl, look, don't be talking to me like this, Joey. We are not in a coaching session. What people could potentially see. But that's you like that's what I'm saying. We I'm almost honestly tired of the conversation around imposter syndrome and how distinctly weaponized it is in conversations with women. Like I have yet to be in a conversation or here on a panel, the conversation around imposter syndrome and it be filled with men. Like I, it's just, it's so rare. And it's, it, and here's what I'll say. It's perhaps it's not that they don't deal with it. Cause I do think men deal with this. They're likely not talking about it as they don't. They're not, they're, they're not. I've never heard. Yeah. They're not talking about it. But I will say for us though, sometimes the perpetuation of the conversation creates it Uh, like it normalizes it in a way that's dangerous where it's almost like if you're not dealing with imposter syndrome for a Mm -hmm. second, you may think there's something wrong. Like, should I be like, is this a, is this an expected part of the journey? And I know I'm even saying this from a a place of somewhat privilege right now. Cause I feel like, well, it's not real privilege. Cause here's the thing. I know I could, I could deal with my own bout of, of worry or doubt in, you know, six minutes, who knows? Um, So I accept that I'm fully human and the other side of that is I do recognize the patterns and mm-hmm. the patterns of like, who's in this conversation? How often do we talk about it? And when do we really start to deal with a solution, which is part of the same reasons why many of us are dealing with imposter syndrome, specifically Black women and other women of color is because of the system of oppression that we're living in. And the smog, as Dr. Beverly Tatum talks about, we breathe in and out. And so sometimes when we're dealing with bosses or, uh, you know, managers or a system that is gaslighting our experience, Mm. you know, there's real evidence as to where imposter syndrome comes from. Yeah, because that further creates it. Yep. Further creates it. It's like, well, I wait a minute. I know before I got this job, I knew how to write a great, you know, (laughs) I knew how to talk with confidence and they've continued to kind of like shut me out of those opportunities and I can see it. But, and so, you know what I mean? Like, so that's, yeah, without a doubt. I want to talk more about the systems and how we need to system to uh, systematically disrupt the systems that perpetuate doubt and, you know, look to marginalize and minimize the voices of, of black women and other women of color. That's mm-hmm. what I want to do instead of us continuing to just have the panels. And if we are going to have the panels to talk about it, cool. <laughs> Let's also talk about the systems and as specifically as possible, give each other the the tools and resources to combat it, which mine's going to be y'all connect to your source, get your group of girlfriends to help remind you of who you are when you forget. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can have somebody tell the story, make sure that you're not gaslighting and keep a record of your wins. Keep a record of your wins because you got to go back to, like I said with you, Drina, you've been in the gym, sis. Yeah. But you know what it is when you're like, when you're just working, Mm -hmm. you just never, for me, you know, I don't ever really sit and like soak it all in and celebrate like my wins and how far I've come. And like you said, you sometimes will have that boss or like that person that'll make you forget who the hell you are. That's that is. And then that first, like you could go into this job, you can go into like a funding meeting or something and you're going confident and someone will like say something or, you know, 
interact with you in a certain way, it'll really plant that seed all over again. It it's really happened did. to me for real. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's happened to me too. I'll never forget Drina, uh, upper East side. Upper East side. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. I was in the upper <laughs> I was working at Teach for America at the time and I was doing fundraising. It was great. had a great team and, and working at that organization at the time, this was a number of years ago, it was a different place. It really helped to rejuvenate my spirit after working in corporate America in a very toxic environment, which planted tons of seeds of doubt. So fast forward, we're at a donor event um, at a donor's house on the Upper East Side in Manhattan, and we're talking to people, connecting, and I'm doing what I should be doing, which is schmoozing, if you will, with the donors. And of course, you would imagine the profile of these individuals who are donating, and they're white, older men in a lot of ways, or women, et cetera, and having conversations, getting to letting them get to know me and me get to know them. Now, Drina, you know me. I can connect with the wall, right? <laughs> So I don't really have concern with that. But as we're having this conversation, I'm recognizing as I'm saying things about my experience and doing it in a very Jovian way, and I'm well aware of our racial differences, you know, I can start to see this person's face kind of cloud over in a way that's familiar to me when it's like, oh, this white person kind of feels challenged by my existence right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm challenging the notions of what they think I'm supposed to be able to do or where I can go or what I've you know, been exposed to. And with every little tidbit or breadcrumb I would drop, I would see this man's face kind of like, oh, really? And so he starts to express and vocalize his doubt with like, yeah, so, and I'm, I'm saying, yeah, so, you know, when I was at UNC and I had the opportunity to, you know, be in these trustee meetings as a student leader, oh, UNC, really? You sure? You went there? Huh. Okay. Oh. hmm yeah, you know, and I, I saw it, heard it, and was like, okay, we'll catch this. So, yes, when I was the president, oh, really? Uh, you know, and then the like the clear kind of disgust, or as if I just took the presidency away from his granddaughter, Becky, or something. <laughs> and she can, Becky. Yeah, and so I'm, I am like, okay. For a while, I was able to be strong in it. And as the conversation persisted, my wall kind of weakened. And I recognized I'm got I can, I need to get out of this conversation immediately. So I excused myself when it felt appropriate. I went to the bathroom. My face got hot, and I just said, "Let it happen, Jovi." And I just looked in the mirror and I cried. Aww. I just cried. Um, I cried because it wasn't just that one interaction, but it was like the flood of reminders of the job I had just worked so hard to get out of and the the things that I was combating there being like one of seven women on a team of 300, the only black woman to have my job and, and the constant kind of feeling I felt. And sometimes I didn't even need to carry it, but I had chosen to carry this burden of, I'm going to show you. Mm-hmm. It was an earlier, like, again, those are the early indicators for me. I can't live to try to show nobody nothing because it wears me out. I can only live to, to prove myself right in God's eyes. But so this, like that feeling, all of that started flooding in the mirror, Drina, where I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you said you were the only black woman on a team, on a team of over, was, did you say 30 or 300? 300. That was 307 women. Yeah. That was back in the day. That wasn't at Teach for America. That was when I worked for this consumer products, good company, which I won't even. Okay. Remember. But yeah, that was then. And so it was a whole different experience. But but in that bathroom, 
the feelings came all back. Of came flooding back. The face of that man just reminded me of the face of managers past and the old clients past and, you know, whatever other interactions on the street, who knows, just all the things mm-hmm. because, you know, fighting systems and trying to develop that strong back is it could be tiring. It wears on us. Yeah. And in that moment, I didn't have it, but I, I knew though I would have it again later. Like, cause mm. when I pieced myself together, you know, try to get my makeup back, put my little lip smackers on or whatever, and try mm-hmm. to just <laughs> get my lip smackers. Hello. <laughs> but anyway, when I put that back on, they put my little red lip back on top. I felt like I also saw in the mirror behind me, my grandmother and I oh. saw my mom and I saw my dad and I saw my great aunts, my aunt Ruth. I saw Mama Gladys and Mama Jean. I saw my auntie Maya Angelo. I saw my cousins Gabriel. Like I saw, I'm not by myself. They are walking with me in every room. So when I go back mm. into this oversized apartment, which swallows three of my, you know, two bedroom apartment that I was sharing across town, I knew that I had my people with me. And they were going to remind me that the past is the prelude and that Jovian, I've told you, I've shown you what you're capable of because I've done it. I've lived through it. And now because of my sacrifices, like I heard them saying like, because of my sacrifices, you can do this now. And I, I, I have told you, I've poured into you. So like, in addition to my faith, which I think my family gifted me, you know, an understanding of my faith, their stories, their stories and just their existence was and is a constant reminder that I got it. And not just like me singularly, but because they have me, I can do more. Mm-hmm. Shout out to you. Because of them, we can, right? Like <laughs> it's real though. And those people that allow us to do it, they don't have to be people that we don't know. And of course, you know, the amazing black history figures that, speak to us and, um, you know, historical figures in lots of different ways, but let's not look over our own people, Mm -hmm. even our peers, like you, D, you are a reminder to me as my business, you know, we're in whatever, shoot, six years now, knowing like working with you, working alongside of you and seeing you grow, seeing your business develop this podcast, which is so exciting. It's just a reminder that our dreams are worthy of execution. Mm -hmm. They really are. Mm-hmm. And the thing that, you know, I just wrote down a few notes while we were even talking because like Jovi and I think, and you may not have even realized this, but I think you were wise beyond like your age, even at 17. Mm. So the fact that you even like noticed that you had like a little seed of imposter syndrome, like creeping in then when like Becky was like, you took my spot and you knew mm-hmm. how to combat that. And then you took that same sort of energy you kept that same energy in every single opportunity or, you know, job that you had leading up into this last one. Mm. And like people Mm. who maybe just graduate college, deal with the microaggressions, take it all in and then try to start something on their own. And then they hit or get into these high profile positions are then hit with imposter syndrome and it kind of weighs them down and Mm -hmm. they don't know how to navigate that. Mm -hmm. But you knew that at 17, I knew something. I ain't know it all, but I, I, I think like, you handled it. You handled it way better than any other 17. I know that would have handled it. Well, 
Praise God. Especially like, in, you know, especially as a black girl going to school with a bunch of white kids and, you, yeah. know, just in, you know, if you don't have that yeah. faith, that foundation of your family and just like the inner confidence and intuition that, you know, like, girl, bye. this is not even about me. It's about you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you'll still deal with that imposter syndrome years down the road. Yeah. I, my That's very true. I will. I feel very blessed in that. I have been told <laughs> it's funny now raising my own daughter I see how like your parents they know you for real like they've literally seen your evolution so my parents would they've always said like I had a very strong constitution growing up and I mean the evidence is I've seen the videos of me being like no I don't want that I'm not wearing that like it was like a knowing I had <laughs> or something and I didn't always like being put in my place and that mm-hmm. was you know they say the things that could be challenging for you as a parent with your children early, though some of those same things will actually be the saving grace for your child later. Like it'll like that that stubbornness will turn into will turn into determination in the future. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, I, you know, I've heard my parents say things like, Yeah, Joven, you just you weren't gonna let someone tell you what you couldn't do. And that meant everything from like, Mama, no, I'm trying to wear this and <laughs> to Becky, later, you trying to tell me that like I don't deserve to be here? Nah, I know that's BS. I'm not trying to hear that. You can take that with you if you want to, but like I'm not gonna own that. So yeah, and, and I, then that then that old white man. Yeah, yeah, and sure, I know the many others who yeah. probably wanted to try it, but I didn't even let them get close to me. Yeah, you know I, what I also say, D. I really do believe that we have to be intentional around how we protect our gifts and that greatest gift being like our, just our, our, our sense of wholeness, because out of that springs the confidence to execute on a purpose and whatever that purpose looks and feels like for whatever season. And if we are not careful in what things we allow to come in, whether that's in our social media feeds, television, our friendships, whatever, those those forces will plant the seeds that will turn into fruits that are rotten. You know, it'll turn into the doubt, it'll turn into the questioning, the fear, the feelings of insecurity that are overwhelming you and stop, you know, move you into paralysis versus, you know, being a really fierce protector of our spirits because not everything should have access to you. Mm-hmm. Very true. Right. Like not everything and not everyone. And I know as you've built your business, you've had to recognize Maybe certain friendships needed to take certain roles or I could, you can't read certain things before bed, whatever. I think I just, sometimes I remember getting to a place uh, a few years ago as I like saw my business growing and the responsibility and being like the full face and brand of like encouraging people to be purposeful in how they live and how I kept getting feedback of like, you Jovian are really like the embodiment of that. And thank you for your example. And I just felt so humbled by it and a deep sense of responsibility to really honor that and know that like, it's not a game. Like I do feel like this is like ministry work to me in lots of ways. And so spiritually, yeah. So spiritually, I really felt like God was like, yo, I need you to get even more serious around what you're putting in because out of your just normal habits in life is your work and is like the example and so you can't do what everybody else is doing all the time. And 
even things that you used to find really comforting or comfortable, you need to switch up for the sake of the call right now, Jovian. Mm-hmm. So like certain movies and stuff, you know, I can't watch certain things that like that because I'm an empath too. Certain things I just can't even take in because they will overwhelm my spirit to the place yeah. where I literally am like, I'm depleted and I can't work for two days. Do you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it could seem small, but for me who loves being with my friends, like, it's like, y'all no, I can't go to that movie. Or even just muting group chats certain times if they're like going down a doomsday path. And I know like, yo, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't fear missing out on the connection or conversation because I know I got to protect the gift. So, you know, of course it looks like protecting yourself from racism the best we can as black people. I think it's also, it shows up in other ways too. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about, um, the On Purpose Movement, how that came about, how you came up with the International Day of Purpose. What does that even mean? <laughs> like, just talk to me a little bit about those these new arms of, you know, the Jovian Zane brand. Yeah, well, Day of Purpose was born out of the On Purpose Movement, which, again, speaking to this idea of like me recognizing I'm the embodiment of all these things, you know, December 7th, 2015, I had like a coming out party. Um, I was leaving Teach for America. I was trying to figure out what my next step was. And I all of a sudden it became crystallized, The which is, let me just say a word right here. Sometimes we really aren't going to get the roadmap, but the map will be given to you one, one piece at a time with every step that you take. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. Like, and we hear this in so many different ways. So let's just like remind each other in this. You just take the next best step that you can and trust that the next piece of the puzzle will be given to you as you need it. And if you don't have it yet, you probably don't need it yet. So that on December 7th, that was the evidence of me taking a few steps where, okay, it was time for me to leave Teach for America. I had done wonderful things there, felt super comfortable, which also I had learned from my mentors. That's evidence that you need to move on. <laughs> if you're too, too comfortable, that's when you start to make mistakes. So, and, and you're not growing. And I knew I needed to like grow and be pushed. So was leaving and it was a risk. It was a huge risk. And I thought I was supposed to go work for somebody else at that time, Drina. And, but I didn't know God was like, no, just take this little step. So as I'm looking for the next opportunity and applying all these jobs, I'm getting rejection after rejection. And and I'm getting rejections from places where people like were saying, oh, please apply. Like y'all are telling me to come apply. I'm getting all these connections, Drina. And yet I'm still getting rejection letters. So imagine how that felt. Wow. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, so I'm really confused. And so while I'm still interviewing full-time places, I'm getting these rejection letters and I'm also getting these invitations to do kind of like small things like, oh, hey, Jovian, do you mind? Like, I know you're a great facilitator. You know, our organization is looking for some leadership development facilitation or like, you know, coaching support, whatever. So I'm just taking on small projects here and there while I'm also interviewing to stay fresh. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, as I keep taking steps, keep taking steps and I keep asking myself and working with my mentors. And like really doing some peer mentors and older mentors, some digging around how I want to spend my time, in what way, what I want my impact to look like, who who do I want to be in community with, like who do I want to partner with to do the the kind of work I want to do in the world. Drina, it was kind of all painting itself. 
And, (laughs) you know, along that step, I had an opportunity to be a part of an anthology on leadership. And so helped to write this book. And I wrote about leading on purpose. And then I wanted to celebrate it because, you know me, I like celebrate everything. I think it's really important. (laughs) celebrate. And so I had this big kind of coming out of like, I'm launching, I'm celebrating this book. Y'all buy it. I didn't even write the whole thing, but still like I got, (laughs) I got like a hundred plus friends to come in Harlem and just celebrate it. And I gave a speech and everything that night was on purpose, literally like the signs were like eat on purpose. The, my, my, my conversation was about shining on purpose. Boom. Everything on purpose. Days later, like December 10th, I went to lunch with my homeboy Koza and he was just like gassing me. Shout out mm-hmm. to Koza forever. And was also like, yo, everything is on purpose. Like I need the shirts, the brands, like, like this. He's like, I just want to do better in life. I want to be on purpose. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's when the seed was really planted of like, oh, and I still didn't see everything, but I had an oh moment. And so I just continue to to do the the facets of work that I knew felt meaningful from speaking and coaching and all that kind of stuff and like doing it on purpose and living my life on purpose and sharing more about my own journey. And fast forward to dinner with Ty Beauchamp, my big sister, who I just owe so much to and love so deeply as a guide and a sister over dinner was when the day of purpose was born out of our conversation. When I was just telling her as I was like meeting with clients and I, I reflected back on my time as a recruiter at Teach for America and just knowing how much purpose mattered to people, even if they don't know how to, they didn't know how to communicate it. Mm-hmm. I was like, Yo, what would, uh, what would happen if everybody was just like living on purpose and like really talking about purpose? Like, ah, and Ty was like, is there a day? Like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I just want everybody to celebrate it. <laughs> she was like, okay, on a day? I was like, yes. And she was like, get the day right now. Is there a day? And so she held me accountable to securing the day and doing the logistics. And that's why, like, for real, I always say you can't be your best self by yourself because as Ty knows, and she's evidence of this, accountability is the foundation to any lasting change. And so- yeah not just me talking about it. She made sure I got the domain. I registered. I did all that kind of stuff. So it was great. How did you choose the day? Uh, So uh, (laughs) at first I was like playing with numerology and then I was like, okay, let's just be, let's get out of all these one plus two. And this is that. And what's (laughs) honest to me is like, uh, I want people to be on purpose as long as possible. And so then the idea of like, what's the longest day of the year? And then it became, oh, okay, the summer solstice. And like, that makes sense. Like it's sunshine. It purpose to me feels like a light. And when you're lit, you help other people to be lit and stay lit. And like your purpose is a, you know, helps to light a path forward for yourself and for others. And so that is how the summer solstice was selected. So their purpose is celebrated every year around the world on the summer solstice. Love it. Mm-hmm. And how many people, like how, how did it, grow to like how did you generate um, awareness around it like where to the point um, where now um, it's celebrated internationally and what yeah. does that look like internationally yeah well I'm really grateful that like you know from the jump I knew this needed to be an international day right purpose is not <laughs> it's not relegated to any one nation or or type of person and so thankfully I really believe the power of a community and network and 
I had a great team, original team of people who believed in the idea, who believed in me and were like, yo, this is ours. And that's what you want. Like their purpose isn't even mine anymore. It is the world's. And I am grateful for it. I feel like that was a gift I was supposed to give. And now we all give to it. But a great team of people who helped us, you know, put strategy behind it, make sure that we use the right kind of tools, everything from, you know, social media, of course, to trend and, you know, having the right kind of people to tweet all our celebrity partners that we got. Shout out to my sister, Janelle Monet, who was a very early adopter influencers. And we partnered with shout out to David Johns, who was a part of the Obama, Obama administration at the time. He was all about it and wanted to just to make sure that we spread this good word of purpose as far and wide as we could. So, yeah, now it's been celebrated like 18 million people around the world. And I remember even the first year, D, crazy. Like, when it started to trend and seeing the conversation of people being like, oh my God, I had no idea it was their purpose, but here's what I'm doing to celebrate. And me being like, that person is in China. What is happening right now? <laughs> I was bugging. I was like, but this is like a real thing. <laughs> You're like, well, oh wait, this thing yeah. I came up with, it's really it's real. something. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, other people, like, if you just have this idea and you execute it on your own, it's all good. And you feel like it's great. And then yeah, when people start buying it, you're like, what in the world is what? happening? Yeah. Like, I mean, I saw it like this, but damn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So what were like some of the roadblocks that, you know, you ran into as you started to build out, you know, the International Day of Purpose? Like what? You know, what did you come across? I mean, I think early on, it's the, it was funding. It was the the thing that lots of people have when you're trying to start Mm -hmm. something, you know, really the capacity piece, like the limits of my own capacity running up against the big dream. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. And for me, this is like the nuance of it all. I am, because as I've said, like I'm the embodiment of this mission and this idea that it's important to live with intention and purpose. I'm really trying to live out these principles. And so that means being intentional around my own boundary setting and recognizing what, you know, I'm being called into in any season. And that may not mean just a focus on work. It certainly could mean um, leaning more heavily with certain friends or the way I need to show up for my family. And so the new boundaries and limitations that I recognized I needed to honor also were at times competing with the vision I had for like how big the day of purpose is and, you know, getting all the money we need because those things require a hustle and they require work and effort that I didn't always have the team or the time or resources to put behind it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you have planned for day of purpose this year? Oh, girl. You know, so soon, I believe, uh, Callan and I, one of my partners, we're working to plan some good stuff, like a series of online conversations with people, uh, just like in, in a series of encouragement. And I think part of it's going to be taken from my new book, uh, which Come I'm on. on. Yep. Yes, I'm here for it. Yes, yes, yes. I'm really working on it. It's not out. It won't be out right away. It won't be out this year, but it's coming, y'all, I promise. And so... Day of Purpose, we just hope, again, can, people can continue to celebrate in whatever way feels most meaningful to them online with us. And also, you know, if you're able to be in person safely in a distanced way or with vaccined, you know, fully vaccinated folks, that you all can do something meaningful together that helps you to have the kind of positive impact in the world that you know you're being called to have. Love it. 
Javi, how has your purpose in living it out changed since you became a mother? Yes. Oh gosh. This is like a this is such a great question to end on. I my journey into motherhood has just been such a great gift. I'm extremely grateful to God for the opportunity to be a mom mm-hmm. and to join the centuries in like this this tribe of people who have continued humanity, you know, like (laughs) I say that with a lot of sincerity and it's big to say. And I, the moments when I feel the most overwhelmed are the moments when I call back to that, you know, the enormity of it all. Like, yo, you're not the first mom on the planet, girl. Like you ain't the first (laughs) woman, you know, to have her period and also breastfeed and do all these crazy, like. Wow, they don't talk about that enough. Listen, like you're not going to have oatmeal in your face. Like you're not the first. So please don't trip. It's been done more with less. So do the best you can with what you have and then go to sleep. (laughs) Like take that. (laughs) That's my mantra with it. Like I, my daughter Georgie is incredible. I think she's just like such a bright light and an awesome spirit. And my husband and I, George, we like to talk about our role as like guides. So we do believe like we're, you know, God purpose Georgie to us for the purpose of us being a guide to her. And so that's just our goal. Like be the best guide we can to help usher her into whatever and whoever she's supposed to be and to not let our own expectations get in the way too much of letting her evolve and shine. And so that's what we try to do. Um, And it's, it's, I will say that like orientation has really helped me when I think about my purpose overall, because I recognize my, my role as a mom and as a partner to be a huge part of how I understand like the the life cycle of life and yeah. roles we play in different ways, and so I'm just I'm I'm trying to take those same lessons of like urgency that Georgie works with when she like runs to my arms because she's hungry or like cries out to her papa because she's like she wants something. How one I should do that same kind of thing with God and like have Ooh. no shame, no like concern about it, like be so reckless in my like desire <laughs> and just continually returning to God for the things that I need. Like she does to me. <laughs> yes. Like that's been a big lesson and it's really helped me ground myself in like, you take care of yourself. You take care of your purpose when you just stay close to your source. Like she's like, you know, all snuggled up on me. So yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Stay close to your source. Yeah. Well, Jovi, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. Thank How you can, for having me. This of is so course, fun. of course. You know I love you. You know <laughs> I love you. How can people follow you on social? Yes, y'all can follow me at Jovi and Zane everywhere. And I look forward to being in great conversations. I, I play most on Instagram. Uh, no, but she be dropping gems on Instagram too. <laughs> Just like she did on this call. She does on the social media. <laughs> okay. On the social media. On the social. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, y'all come on over. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jovi. I love you. Love you. Love you.